Hi, everybody. It's Richard Zwicky with The Green Peak. And joining us today, we have David Miller from Flow Gardens. Welcome aboard, David. Hey, Richard. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on. You're, you've background in the industry. You're a well-known cultivator in the, uh, in the space, but I've also had an interesting journey uh, before joining cannabis. Tell us a bit about the journey to cannabis, and then we'll get into what you're doing here. Oh, sure. Um, well, I was in the financial and accounting space for a uh, better part of 20 years, and it took me about that long to figure out I wasn't doing what I was loving. <laughs> What I love. That's important, right? A lot of people spend too much time doing things they ha- think they have to do as opposed to things they really enjoy. Yeah. And, and nonetheless, it was, it was a great, had a great business, sold a great business. And, um, you know, it was really, felt like I was really successful in my, my prior career, but it all came down to just living a purpose-driven life and, you know, centered around family and doing what you love. So that's a couple of things happened in my personal life with uh, people that I cared about with cannabis and saw the impact that it made in addition to, you know, my dealings with it over the, over the years. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's ultimately why I made, made the complete 180 switch. So now I'm somebody that people want, want to talk to at a cocktail party versus the financial and accounting geek that they want to stay away from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny. It's funny that way. Um, for years, I mean, I was in technology and people would ask my kids what their dad does and they'd never be able to answer. But then as soon as I got involved in cannabis, they said, well, he's a drug dealer. And it gave them great pleasure and gave everybody else a chuckle because now at least they could relate. <laughs> yeah, I definitely need to be a little more self-aware when I go to my kids' basketball and lacrosse games and I'm uh, coming from the grove smelling like uh, smelling like cannabis. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. A group of parents. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Now... You're in the state of Tennessee, which doesn't legally allow uh, marijuana or cannabis uh, production. How does that affect you, and what does it make it? How does it make it different for you? Uh, the main thing is uh, we we really it's been a it's been a blessing in disguise being more restrictive as to how we can grow cannabis, i.e. the the hemp the hemp in, in the farm bill. Um, it's. The, the, I guess the blessing in disguise, how it's affected us is that we focused on alternative cannabinoids and our genetics development. Right. And we've been able to create some, some really unique one-to-ones, you know, half CBD, half THCA. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's really an untapped part of the market we feel like is, is going to gain some steam as cannabis, beca- cannabis becomes a more or I guess an industry that's not in, in an infancy stage. Yeah. And that's interesting. You mentioned, you know, the, you're trying to focus on THCA and CBD as one of the examples. Um, what, how are you, how are you taking that to market and advocating for it as being different and why people should choose it over something else? And what about some of the other varietals you're growing and what are the compounds you're really trying to um, the cannabinoids you're trying to bring forward. Yeah, there's a multi multi part question. Which one do you yep. make first? <laughs> well, let's let's start with what you're identifying as the opportunities in terms of cannabinoids that haven't been well developed by others that you are seeing because of your market situation. Yeah, and I think 
the lack of consumer education just because of where we are in the market is um, really needs to be defined. And we feel like we're defining that. So some of the things that we're focusing on is um, those alternative cannabinoids that don't have a lot of research around it. So there is an element of, of speculation there as to what we think is best and what we think is, you know, has the best health benefits for, um, for consumers. So obviously the CBD is one of the better known alternative cannabinoids, but we also have CBC. We have a plant with, uh, or a cultivar with pretty high CBC levels. And, uh, we had, you know, THPV, CBPV. And in each one, what are you look? what do they do specifically that you're finding being quite promising? why you'd advocate for them for consumers. That's yeah, there's, there's there's been several studies uh, that have supported uh, CBG and CBC as as a reference point and in combating cancer obviously we can't find uh-huh. that. Um, but there are a lot of, you know, anti-inflammatory characteristics that studies have shown with with those alternative cannabinoids and you know the reality is in the marketplace is is screaming and going towards you know the highest thc percentage right. there are a ton of benefits to thc and we're advocates of that as well but you know it's you know sprinkling in those alternative cannabinoids that need more study and clearly have had some some positive results in those studies uh we, we feel like will get us ahead of the curve whenever the market becomes more developed and consumer education is in a in a stronger spot yeah, because that that is one of the differentiators for you versus other states. Because you don't have the same access to market, you are forced to innovate in new in new ways. That if the market were opened up tomorrow, of course there would be a mad rush towards THC, which happens everywhere else because of the the consumer aspects of it. But the medical benefits still remain and you're exploring those now in advance of everybody else. Yeah. And Richard, that's, that's really the the difficult part uh, that we feel like the market is neglecting. Obviously the demand's there and we can't control the, the, the demand for, uh, for the large part. But, you know, if you have a dispensary that's medicinal, um, a state, let's say they're just medicinal, not rec. And the whole purpose of that is medicine. And there are alternative cannabinoids that have promising studies as to how these can help medicinally. No, you don't need to go into a dispensary and just get something with THC in it. That at least the consumers need to be educated and presented with options. Say, hey, yes, this plant has, for example, 10% THC, but it's also got 4% CBC and 4% CBD. So you're getting a more holistic approach to it, even though you may not have as of an intense psychoactive effect. Because CBG is actually a CB2 uh, agonist, uh, the CB2 receptor agonist. So it mm-hmm. kind of balances that higher, I guess, kind of muffles it out a little bit. Yeah. And it's, it is fascinating. And the questions you, when you spent time in dispensaries in other states, I presume, as part of the learning experience for yourself. Mm-hmm. And yep. if you were to spend time in, in a dispensary in Tennessee versus in, you know, let's say Kentucky, well, or California, an easy one. Um, how do you see the conversations differing in your state than elsewhere? That's a great question. So the, 
the way the farm bill reads it, it can't have more than 0.3% Delta to nine THC, not, right. not total, not total THC, uh, per the farm bill. So it's actually legal to sell something that has 20, 25% THCA. And I'm not an attorney, mm-hmm. what, you know, clearly out there on the marketplace and, and what we're receiving from a guidance standpoint. Right. So you can go to, you know, quote dispensaries that are, you know, issued by, by the state in the same way as, as reckoned medicinal states, you can go to a dispensary and get something with THCA flower that has 20, 25% with COAs as supported. Um, but they're, they're not regulated in the same manner. Mm-hmm. So it is a little bit of wild, wild west out there as far as like product is concerned with the packaging safety, um, just overall plant reporting regulations. So I think there's, I think there's a lot of opportunities in these, you know, non-legal states for us to, for us to sell flour to in a way that the other states can have. I mean, we can ship to 49 different states, whether it's a wholesale store or a retail store that we're selling wholesale to, or whether it's a, you know, direct business to consumer sale that we have. Yeah. And you know, the, all of that of course develops and changes when you get more and more state involvement, what do you look at as being the, what's coming over the next couple of years in Tennessee? Of course, Tennessee has, um, a governor who has not been very favorable of the industry in the past. Well, right now there's some, uh, a rule that's been passed through the Tennessee department of ag that is limiting on the shelf to having less than 0.3% Delta nine and people that understand genetics and how the plant grows, it's just, it, it would crush yeah. so many businesses in the state. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, political action committees, 501c6s, a lot of different organizations out there that are working to make sure that rule doesn't go into effect in, in July. Um, it's cause it's still the public comment period, but I mean, it's, it, it's, it's difficult, Richard, cause you got the marijuana slash cannabis hemp industry as a whole moving yep. forward and progressing. And then you got these rules that come out, you know, in these states that's, that's moving backwards. So it's, how do we, how do we educate the politicians that 70% of people are in favor of, which is an overwhelmingly high number. And it's been at about 70% for, for the past year that they're, they're in support of cannabis. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's a great topic for us to come back to after we take a short break, we're going to be back in a moment with David Miller from Flow Gardens on the Green Peak. And we're back on the Green Peak with David Miller from Flow Gardens. And David, you know, just before the break, we were talking about um, governors and some, you know, in Tennessee and some aggressive policy uh, direction that's occurring in really in the opposite direction to the mass market and the consumer. A big part of it, of course, is campaign finances and pharmaceuticals, which have a heavy involvement in tamping down the industry because it's not one they can control. But the destigmatization of the industry, I mean, if 70% of the market of the population is in favor of it, it's pretty much destigmatized. What, you know, in the absence of being able to change the financial equation, what's going to change the government's opinion in Tennessee? I really think that 
uh, there needs to be some some clear directive and action taken on federal level um, in, in order for a lot of these conservative states to 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 allow looser laws, for lack of better words. Okay, um, but of course, the federal government also is of course facing the same challenge where the elected officials um, are reticent to move forward and because cannabis is a difficult one for anybody to control, right? The plant is the plant. And as you touched on earlier, the vagaries of the production of the cannabinoids and flavonoids and terpenes in every single plant mean that it's not consistent. We can talk about standardization all we want, but there's, there's variations throughout the year and from one crop to the next. So, you know, what's going to change people's minds? I think it'll be really interesting, Richard, with this HHS letter that was sent to the DEA months months ago about, and there's been some speculation, but a lot of concrete fact, really concrete facts and information haven't been released. Mm-hmm. The uh, not descheduling, but rescheduling it from a Schedule One to a Schedule Three substance. Right. I'll, I think it was perhaps someone in the HHS, I can't specifically remember, but they had said and revealed everybody that they asked for data from, uh, from the states that are legal. So right. that, that was encouraging to know that they're at least entertaining the fact that there is medicinal value to the plant and at least taking that factor into equation when they're, um, the DEA is considering, you know, rescheduling it. So I think that would definitely send a, a message to the more conservative states if the uh, laws are loosened on a federal level from that perspective. But, you know, you still got the banking issues that need to be cleared up. And um, so it's it's going to take take some time. Yeah, I, you know, unfortunately, I, I still don't see it happening within the next full legalization happening with all the regulations in place for the next five years. And that's that's a shame because every one of us struggles who's involved in the industry fighting against the the insanity of the blockades to market. Um, but doing what we can in between, you know, you're, you're working hard to stay ahead of the curve in, in cannabis genetics, um, by looking for the more minor, um, and obscure cannabinoids and promoting their, their benefits. And you mentioned about research. How are you going about the research? Because one of the challenges in the marketplace is doctor and physician education, what to recommend, how to recommend it and when to prescribe it. And, you know, that lack of information is going to be after you backfilled along the way with your research. How are you handling that? Yeah, we're working on, can't go into a lot of specifics, but we're looking on public private partnerships relative to uh, research and funding. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the, uh, rule promulgation and just processes need to be ironed out with the passage of, this was about a year and two or three weeks ago, the marijuana cannabidiol research expansion act. Right. It, that was a good groundwork delay, but now they're having to work out, Hey, how is this actually going to be funded? And how's the research going to happen? Who's going to do the research in conjunction with what, what, you know, what other parties? So that's one of the things that, that we're working on from a strategic standpoint, uh, to really formalize this research with people that are growing it every day with these, uh, higher education institutions who, um, you know, can definitely promote it on, on it, on a different level than we can. Right. 
And, you know, you're growing through the market and, you know, that gives you more and more ability to take these on. How big is Flow Gardens today? Uh, we have uh, a couple warehouses. Um, um, we do all hydroponic flour. Right. Uh, we Actually, we have one one living soil room uh, for R&D purposes, but we do R&D with uh, RDWC, reverse deep water culture, uh, recirculating deep water culture, blood and grain, and then top feed methods. Mm-hmm. We did flower rooms. Um, As you're or, trying those different methods, are you noticing a significant difference if you're running I- identical conditions in terms of the output of the cannabinoids? Um, with the same cultivars, um, there there is some difference across the different grow methods. Uh, and that's, that's one of the difficult things is you can have one cultivar do something in a top drip system and get another cultivar and put it in that same system. And the output's going to be different comparatively to another system. So yeah, just almost speaks to the complexity of these plants and how much there is, is to learn around them. Yeah, it's, it is always astonishing. I mean, the slightest change in the environment uh, results in a complete different expression of cannabinoids. And, uh, I was wondering if you've been able to find any consistency with regards to, um, like a mix and match of what's working best for you for a product output. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, the, uh, recirculating deep water culture, hydroponic mm-hmm. process, those tend to have higher cannabinoid levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, that one soil room that, that I had referenced those tend to have uh, different terpene levels, um, a little higher terpene levels, uh, more prominent in the in those plants. So, um, if we're looking from just an efficiency and yield perspective, then the the hydroponic RDWC definitely takes the cake from the from the cannabinoid content perspective. But you know, then you, then you have the, the terpenes, which you know smell cells too. So Right. Yeah, you won't take that into, into the equation. Absolutely. It's a, it's a necessary part to making the plan to the product appealing, right? <laughs> so your focus on the cultivation and the retail end of the market is a bit of a challenge in Tennessee. Um, where does your business start and stop in terms of or where uh, we are on value to market? So we have, we're a B2B2C company. So we have uh, a wholesale distribution network, a couple hundred vendors. Uh, and then we also have about 20,000 uh, B2C or, or retail consumers that buy direct from our, from our website. Um, so we're uh, not in processing. We, we do not uh, make extracts as of right now just too much for a company to take on. We're focused on just growing quality flour and, and getting that out there in the hands of the people. Right. Um, so that's, that's where we are currently on the value chain is the cultivation side, then, the then the retail and wholesale distribution aspect. Right. So you don't do any pre-rolls or any transformation at all. I'm sorry. We, we do, uh, we do have pre a pre-roll station and, and make a good bit of pre-rolls, but not, not like concentrates or extracts or things like that. Sure. Okay. And as far as the market goes there, 
how does it split for you? Is it mostly raw flour, um, loose flour, or um, free roll that people are purchasing? And just depend yeah, on the value chain they are. Yeah, it's it's very similar to a dispensary. Is you know, dispensaries. I think the numbers are around sixty to seventy percent of sales are flour, um, and that's we're we're higher than that. We're eighty plus percent, maybe even ninety percent as far as our our flour sales compared compared to our other SKUs that we sell. Okay, no, that's excellent. Um, I mean, that shows the difference also because you you are supplying both ends of the market, so there would be a different split. Um, we have to take one more break. I'd love to come back, talk a bit about the brand and what you're going to be doing next. And we'll be back in a moment with David Miller on the Green Peak. And we're back on the Green Peak with David Miller from Flow Gardens. And David, you know, part we haven't really touched upon so far is the Flow Gardens brand and how you're building that out and what comes next. Tell us a little bit about where you're going and how you're going to make the brand awareness grow, not just in Tennessee, but across the country, perhaps. Slowly, but surely, um, mm-hmm. even though I'd love for it to be quick and fast. <laughs> uh, one of the things that we, you know, our, our purpose is to cultivate health and happiness through high quality cannabis right? So on a higher level order. So in doing that, we just need to make sure that we cultivate raving customers that we produce super high quality cannabis and um, we stick to those two core values of the five we have, then that that's going to be, those are the two highest impact items we can do for our brand. Um, we, we have uh, our, our founder has been a cultivator for, you know, close to 30 years. He's got a lot of respect um, in the, in the cultivation space. Uh, as far as what genetics, how to, how to grow things. And he's just a great creative entrepreneur all around. And so that's enabled us to partner with, um, a lot of the cultivators in the quote marijuana space, even though we're we're in hemp, like later who created miracle alien cookies, we're doing a collaboration with him and, um, you know, just sticking to our guns of selling high quality cannabis, you know, as a bogus keeping things simple and, you know, running a business like a business should be run. Yeah. Which is fundamentally what a lot of people get away from and then they run its trouble. Um, and you know, flow gardens itself, do you hope to expand beyond Tennessee or you got to focus on Tennessee? Cause there's so much there. You know, there's the market cap of Tennessee were to be legalized recreationally, probably a similar comparison would be Missouri. And they're projected with their first year wreck under their, almost under their belt come February. It's going to, I think it's going to be around a billion in sales. Mm-hmm. So I, I think a lot of the demographics are similar. That's more than we can bite off right now. Tennessee yep. were to be legalized. So our focus is to, like I said, not to be a broken record, but to have five quality flour and expand as the market allows it. You know, if we were to, want to go into some of these other states it just it wouldn't make sense now given all the varying regulations and inter and intrastate commerce rules so right now we're sticking to tennessee until uh and being that we can ship to 49 states our home base being in tennessee we're sticking to that for now of course and you know as you looked forward to the year ahead what do you see as being the biggest opportunities and the biggest threats for your business 
I would say the the biggest opportunities would be the hemp market as it remains today. If it remains the same that it is today, then um, the online hemp market is is going to take market share this year um, from the marijuana industry, just given the THCA regulations and the fact that we can sell above 0.3% Delta 9, i.e. 20% THCA. So we're continuing to to take customers from these legal and, sorry, these medicinal and rec states when they realize that the flower is is essentially the same. Right. Um, so that's that's the biggest opportunity is is educating consumers that they can get high quality THCA flour with alternative cannabinoids in it from us and it can be shipped to their door and they don't have to deal with the taxes. Well, I, I don't know all the different local municipal taxes, but in say California, for example, I've heard some cases where it's 30, 40 plus percent and these businesses are just leaving, going to other states because they can't, they have to deal with 280E on top of that with the federal government in addition to oh, local taxes. So those yeah. challenges are challenging at every level. And I, I do agree. I mean, online definitely short circuits a lot of the issues for people. Yeah. And then to answer your second question, Richard, the biggest threat is, I mean, we know who we are as a company. We're experienced business owners. We know, we know how to grow and scale this thing and, and do it the right way. And it, unfortunately, the biggest threat is, is out of our control. And that's the, the politicians and the rules that are out there. Right. So that can, that can turn things for, for the not so good rather quickly. Sure. Yep. They can, they can always do a lot of damage, uh, intentionally or otherwise. <laughs> so David, I'd like to thank you for joining us on the green peak today. Yeah. Um, it's been a really great conversation and, uh, I'd like to have you back, uh, again at some point when, uh, Tennessee opens up and maybe as some major news or major news comes out of that market with regards to some changes, because it'll be interesting to see, uh, what path it follows. We'll throw a party together when that happens. Like that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, David. And thanks to everybody for listening. I'm Richard Zwicky, and we'll be back again with you soon. Thanks, Richard.